So what we're going to do today is uh, continue this theme of worship. We began this morning, right, by doing a baptism. A baptism is a form of worship. Is worship is responding to the greatness of God. And so we saw five individuals who have, as Rick said, by God's grace, come to know Jesus as their Savior. And so we were able to enter worship and respond to the greatness of God in seeing them and their testimonies. Second, then we got to see, we got to worship through music. And uh, that's always a joy. And today we're going to worship in the Word. And my hope is that as I open the book of Revelation, uh, that you will be as encouraged as I have been in my studies. So let me pray, and then we'll get started. Father, thank you for your goodness, and thank you that each day is a special gift from you. Uh, We're amazed at your amazing love. We see it in the salvation of these young people. We see it in the beauty of music and how that just livens our souls. And Father, we come now and we ask that your word would have a very, very special place and way in our hearts. I ask that the Lord Jesus, the great physician, would do a great work in each one of us. Uh, We ask that your spirit would be our teacher. We ask that you would give us hearts that desire to be obedient, that want more than anything to know you and to help others to do the same. So Father, we give this time to you and we pray this in Jesus' name. One of the things in my past is I was a dentist. And as a dentist, I learned that an excellent, if you're going to do excellent treatment, it will begin with doing a very thorough exam of your patient. And so when your patient comes in, you begin to engage them and ask them how they're doing. You try to put them at ease, and then you begin to find out what's the nature of the problem. Once you figure these things out, you then create a treatment plan. And then once you do the treatment plan, you again discuss it with the patient, they agree, and then you begin to get rid of the problem or problems. And so the book of Revelation actually is structured very similarly. We have Jesus who's going to do an exam. And he's going to do that in Revelation chapters 2 and 3. He's going to do an examination of his church. And then he's going to draw up a treatment plan, and that's Revelations 4 and 5. And then he is going to get rid of the problem, which is rebellion and sin, and he's going to do that in chapters 6 through 19. And then he's going to tell the patient how you can maintain health in chapter 20. And then finally he's going to say, you know what? In all of this anyway, we're going to all die. The patient always is going to die, right? And so he's going to say, you know what? We're going to have an eternal healing where you will always be healthy. And that's called heaven, and that's in Revelation 21 and 22. So by way of background, if you would turn to the book of Revelation, uh, we're in Revelation 2, you'll see that there are seven churches Okay, and in those seven churches, they form a large, next slide, they'll form a large horseshoe, and they're all connected roads. And the way they would do is the letter carrier would take it, go from Ephesus, and they would go to the next city, and to the next city, and to the next city. If you look up there, you can't see it very well, but it's going to go exactly in order as your scriptures go. It's going to go from Ephesus, and then it'll go to Pergama, then Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. And these are all real churches in real time. And so you may be thinking, well, what in the world does that have to do with me here today? Well, the issues that they faced and they tried to wrestle through and had to wrestle through 
are the very issues that we face and we wrestle with. And the fact that five of these churches were unhealthy will be an instruction to us. And so as we listen to and look at these churches, we want to be thinking God wants to do an exam in each one of our own hearts. He wants us to look inside and say, hey, can I identify with any of these unhealthy churches? Or if God has been gracious in your life and you could say, well, you know what? Actually, I'm one of these two healthy churches. Either way, we want to say, how is it that we can have health? And that we're, that is what we're after today is trying to figure out how can we be healthy? And the basis of what we're doing is we are healthy when Jesus rules our affections. Okay, so I want you to hear that very clearly. We are healthy when Jesus rules our affections. Because we're going to see that in some of these churches, Jesus did not rule their affections, something else did, and as a result, there were problems. But when Jesus rules our affections, we can know that we will enjoy health. The second thing by way of background is that each of these letters has a specific format. So if you're in Revelation 2, you'll see that there are five things that will go. The first one is there's an evaluator. That's Jesus. He's going to give a self-description of who he is, and it's going to relate to the problem that that church actually has. Okay, so we're going to see Jesus, and it's going to relate it to the church that he's dealing with. And then the second aspect is he's going to give them a commendation. And so all seven churches, well, actually six of the seven churches receive a commendation. The church in Laodicea does not, and we'll see why as we go on. And then the next part, and this is where we're going to spend most of our time, will be in the area of the rebuke, that he will rebuke these churches because they are unhealthy in some way. And if uh, you go to the doctor and your doctor says to you, oh, by the way, Mrs. Smith, you are completely healthy but you have cancer. It's the but you have cancer is what you want to listen to. And that is why we're going to spend more of our time on the rebuke section than we are on the commendation section of the, of the letters. Then the next part is, uh, after the, the rebuke, is the exhortation. He's going to exhort them to do something, and that's the cure you're going to see for the disease. And then finally, he's going to give them a promise. And so that's, that's by way of background. Okay, so our time today, what I'd like to do is we're going to do a spiritual checkup. Where there's going to be five, we're going to look at five symptoms and, five, and two signs. The five symptoms are going to be reflected in the five churches that have some problem that is going on. And the two signs are going to be in the healthy churches. And we want to learn from both of those. Now, as it, when you go in and you have, let's say you have the flu, you will have symptoms, right? You may have a fever, you may have aches and chills, but the reality is that is not your problem. Those are merely symptoms. And so when we look at these five churches, we're going to see symptoms, but that is not the problem. The deep problem that all these churches share in common, the common disease they have is their affections, is that they have chosen to give their affections to something or someone else, not to Jesus. And when we do that, we can guarantee we're going to have problems because we are only as healthy as when Jesus rules over our affections. And also, when we look at the issue of our affections, just like cancer, there's different stages that go on in cancer. You can have a stage one, very treatable, much more likely to be healed. 
there are stages that happen with our affections. And we're going to see that as we go through these churches, that it gets more and more unhealthy. And so this, you go from a stage one in the church of Ephesus to by the time you get down to the church in Sardis, you are close to being on life support, okay? And so that is, that is where we'll be heading. Okay, so if you would now turn with me, we're going to start looking at the churches. And again, these churches, think of it this way. You are now walking into the doctor's office, and Jesus is your doctor, okay? And he is going to then begin to describe to you symptoms that he may or may not be seeing in your life. So you want to identify, are these symptoms in my life or not? So let's begin with the first, the first church. It says, the angel of the church at Ephesus writes, the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands says this. Okay, and so the first thing we see is the evaluator. And he's walking. Jesus is walking amongst this church. And he says that he has the seven stars in his hand. And so you might be thinking, well, what in the world is that? Fortunately, we're told by John, right, as he receives this vision in uh, verse... Chapter 1, verse uh, 20, that the seven stars you saw on my right hand are the, uh, the seven elders, okay? And that you have the seven lampstands that are going to be the seven churches. And so Jesus is walking amongst the churches, walking amongst the elders. He's showing us that he has authority. He has the authority to then evaluate this church. And so then this is what his evaluation is. You see the commendation then in 2 and 3? We're going to skip that, but we're going to go right to the rebuke. He says, but I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Okay, now this, is, this church is doctrinally sound. This church is the one that founded the other six churches. And so it's sort of ironic that they've gone from being a church planter, right, very healthy, giving rise to these other churches, to all of a sudden that Jesus looks at him and he says, my diagnosis for you is that you have a cold heart that you have left your first love, that you have put other things before me. And so if you think about when you were first in love, for those of us who were married or who might have a significant other, I mean, it was exciting, right? That's your first love. You want to spend all your time with them, all your money, your energies. Not important, right? Whatever you need to do to connect with that person, that is what you want to do. Okay, so if there's snow outside, who cares? If it's cold, who cares? If it's hot, who cares? All I want to do is connect with that other person, right? That's because they're your first love. But what has happened is these people in Ephesus have left their first love. Other things have gotten in their way. And so we want to ask ourselves the first thing that Jesus is going to ask is have you or I, have we left our first love? Have we allowed other things in our lives to take priority. And it's a very slow process, isn't it? You know, you get married and you start having kids and, you know, wait a minute, I, I used to love my wife this way, but now I don't have the time to do those kind of things or the energy. Well, the same thing happens in our Christian life, right? You know, Jesus is my focal point. And then something's happened. I get a job, I get a transfer. All of a sudden, my responsibilities are greater. I don't have as much time. My schedule gets changed. I'm no longer able to do my quiet time when I used to. And all of a sudden, we begin to see that our heart is drifting away. And so that's Jesus' first concern with the church at Ephesus is, 
is that they have left their first love. They have let other things crowd out their spiritual vibrancy, that their affections are being drowned out by other good things. And so that's the first one. The second one, we're going to skip the second church, and we're going to go right into the church of Pergamum. And it's, it says this, he is the one, this is speaking of Jesus again, the one who has the sharp two-edged sword says this. And so Jesus' second evaluation or second symptom that's going to come up is that he has this sword and he is the one, if you look at Hebrews, it says that the sword is able to, to divide between the soul and the spirit and to tell what the intentions of a man is. He has the ability to be the rightful judge of what is happening in this church, that he can make the diagnosis. And so his diagnosis for this church uh, is that they, well, let me read it, in, let's see, in Perga it says, but I have this, verse 14, chap, chapter 2, but I have the, these few things against you because you have, there's some kind of hold of the teaching of Balaam who kept teaching Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel to eat sacrificed things to idols and commit sins of immorality. And so he says, okay, look. You have a problem, and your problem is this. Balaam, if you think back to what Balaam did, Balaam wanted, Balaam's whole job was the king Balak said, of Moab said, you know what, you need to curse these people, the people of Israel. And he said, you know what, I can't do that. I can only do what God asks me to do, tells me to do. Now, he's not, he was not a, a Jesus or a Yahweh-fearing uh, prophet, but he was a prophet, and he understood whatever this God says I need to do. And so... He kept blessing them, and he blesses them three times. And finally, they said, you know what? We know how to trip the... He says, I, I know how to trip these people up. Let's have them intermarry. And if they intermarry, what they're going to do is they're going to tie their hearts to the people. And when they tie their hearts to those people, they're then going to start following their gods. And that's exactly what happened to the nation of Israel. And so for the second church and the second diagnosis or symptom is this, that we have also wed our hearts or joined our hearts to something else at times, right? That we have given ourselves over to other things that then move us away from our desires for Jesus, for having our affections to be fully his. And so we want to be asking ourselves, what kind of things have we given ourselves to um, in this way? And so it could be that we have given ourselves to... Uh, a special type of uh, knowledge of, uh, let me back up real quick, because there's one other thing I did want to say about the church at Pergamum, and that is that they, they had the second largest library, and so they loved knowledge, they loved things that were new and different, and so when you look at this church, what Jesus is trying to do is address that issue, is that you love the, the freshness of new knowledge and things like that, and so what he was saying is that you have allowed other thoughts, other ways of thinking to influence you in ways that have pulled you away from Jesus. And so we need to ask ourselves, what are those things in our lives today that may pull us away from Jesus? What are those influences that have come into our life that have, we have intermarried with? And so in our work, we could have tied ourselves to a business partner who doesn't know Jesus, who wants to take bribes, who wants to do those kind of things, and it's moving us in a way that moves us away from who Jesus is, away from what God wants us to see happen in our own lives. And so there's other ways we can intermarry. If you're a young person and you're dating, you may say, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to connect myself to this individual. Well, this person doesn't know Christ. 
then you are, in, you are, in a sense, wedding yourself or joining your to yourself to something that's ungodly. Another thing we can do in the area of compromise is that we can, we can uh, and, see, and it's very easy in China, right? We need to get a video, we want to get a computer program. Well, I can save a lot of money, right? Well, how do I save money? Well, I just get the one that's not the real deal. And so we have, you know, pirated movies, we have pirated software, we have pirated, you name it, we have it. And so those are all types of compromise, and that's the second thing that Jesus was after in the church of Pergamum. And so we want to be asking ourselves, what are those things in our lives where we've compromised? Because it's those things that, again, that steal our affections away from Jesus and begin to help us understand that, that we have a problem. Then the third one is the church at Sardis. I'm sorry, the church of Thyatira. Now, this is a, an interesting church, and Jesus is walking there. It says he has eyes in verse 18, like a flame of fire, and his feet are like burnished bronze. And again, here's the idea that he can see everything as it really is. You know, that we can try to fool God on the outside, but he knows the realities of what's going on, and that the feet of burnished bronze, that he is going to trample out evil. It will happen. He is going to win. Um, and so then when you looked at the church in Thyatira, one of the things we see there is they have this teaching of Jezebel. And so if you look at verse 20, it says, but this I have against you, here's the rebuke, that you tolerate the woman Jezebel who calls, you, who calls herself a prophetess, and she teaches and leads my bondservants astray and commits acts of immorality, and they eat things sacrificed to idols. So Jezebel is a false prophet, prophetess. She's teaching false things. And so we want to ask ourselves, who are the false prophets of our, of our day? Who are, where do we receive false teaching that's going to cause us to have a corrupt heart? And if we think about it, we have those who will teach us through music, right? We have those who teach us through uh, movies or literature. And so we need to be very cautious as we're, as we're watching movies. You know, my boys and I just watched... Um, uh, Maximus, what's Maximus in that movie? The Gladiator, yes, right? And what's, what's the message of the Gladiator? We love the movie, right? We're taken in, I mean, it's a man's man's movie, and you're watching it with your older boys, and everybody's having a great time. It's actually a very violent movie, but whatever, we did have a good time. But in that, Maximus, who does he pray to? Any number of gods, right? And then what is his goal? He wants to survive long enough to get what? revenge. That's what he's after. And then the person who's caring for him, who, I forget his name, his whole deal is he wants to make money, right? And so the worldview that is being, that comes through this movie is one of revenge, is one of avarice. And so my boys and I were at the end of that, man, went, oh, that was a great movie. That was awesome. Yeah, but what did it teach us? Oh, dad, don't go down that road. We just wanted to enjoy the movie right? And so it's like, no, we need to step back and we need to ask that question. What was the worldview there? Okay, or you look at something like the Lion King, right? Makuma Batata, whatever it is. And the whole issue with the Lion King is it's giving us a more pantheistic worldview. But you leave that movie going, oh, that's wonderful. And you're singing the song, your kids are singing the song, everybody's happy. But the reality is that we have 
there's a corruption that's taking place. There's an erosion of our understanding of who God is and what he's doing in the world. And so that's the third, the third uh, symptom is this corrupting force. And so we have to be really careful, especially with our kids. Say, what am I watching? What are they watching? What are they reading? And dialogue with your kids. Hey, you know, what are you reading? Are you reading Orwell's 1984? Hmm. So what are you learning from that? And actually try to figure out what it is that's going through their minds and going through their hearts. Okay. The next one is Sardis. And if you look at Sardis, it's, again, it's, it, Jesus is going through this church and he highlights that the Holy Spirit, if we look at uh, 3.1, it says, he who has the seven spirits, I think that's referring to the Holy Spirit, and the seven stars, again, that's referring to the elders. Those are ones who are overseeing the church, and Jesus saying, is saying that I'm governing the church through them, but there's a deep problem, okay? And it says that these people have this sense, if you go on in verse 1, that they are alive and well and healthy, right? Life is good. And what does Jesus say? You're dead, and really, they're not dead dead. You know, if you saw Princess Bride, they're only mostly dead. Okay? But they are dead and they are dying. Meaning that they are now no longer spiritually sensitive to the things that they used to be spiritually sensitive to and ought to be. And so, you know, the, this, this person is the one who says, hey, I come to church every Sunday. I give, right? In fact, I give probably more than most people. I sometimes serve downstairs, and so, you know what? Just get off my back. I'm doing what I need to do. People look at him, and they say, hey, wow, you're a really spiritual dude, right? But the reality is the person knows inside their heart they haven't picked up their Bible. In fact, they don't even know where their Bible is, right? They haven't picked it up in, for ages. And so this is the dying heart. It's another symptom of where the person's affections have been given uh, and placed somewhere else. And then finally is the church at Laodicea. Now, this is not a true church in my understanding of this, okay? And there's three ironies that come out here. The first one, uh, if you look, well, the first one is that if we just look at who Jesus is in this, it says that he is the faithful and true witness, that he has the ability to evaluate this church in a very true, faithful way. But then when we look at it, it says... Um, I know that your deeds, and they are neither cold nor hot, and I wish that they were either cold or hot, and they says, but you're lukewarm, and I want to spit them out. Now, Laodicea is an interesting church because there was a city of Hierapolis, and there was another city called Colossae. Hierapolis is known for its hot springs, very medicinal. You go, you can drink it, you can bathe in it. They're mineral springs. You know, James, you were talking about your... Uh, Jacuzzi, these are natural jacuzzis. So people would go to there to be healed. Then you have Colossae. Well, they had the cold water. And people would go there to be refreshed and to be healed. And then you had Laodicea. Laodicea had the lukewarm water that wasn't fit for bathing, wasn't fit for drinking. It was useless. Okay, and so that's Jesus' first depiction of them. And the second one, if you go on in this is, uh, it says that, well, let me, let me, one more background thing, is that they were known for three things, for banking, for textiles, and for medicine. And if you look at the second part of his rebuke, uh, in verse 17, it says, at the very end, it says, 
that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Do you see the irony there? They were known for uh, textiles, for medicine, and for banking, yet they're blind, they're naked, and they're poor. And so that's the second reason why I'd say that they're not a church. And so for, for, those of who, for those of the people here who don't know Jesus, that is how Jesus is describing you. And then the third one is this. It says, behold, in verse 20, I stand at the door and knock. Okay, now this is interesting. Where is Jesus? Here's the church, right? He's on the outside, and he's knocking to get in his own church. Again, do you see the irony there? It's his church, and they won't even let him in. And so that is the third state. Is the, we're we're uh, past the dying. It's the church that thinks they're a church, but they're not really a church. And so the fact that some of us are here in this church, that doesn't make us a Christian, right? And so the message that Jesus is saying here is simply because you go to church doesn't make you a Christian. It's where are your affections? Have you given your affections to me? As I'm knocking on the door, will you open the door? Or are you going to leave me outside of my own church? I mean, how crazy is that? But that is how many, many people live. Then if you look at the two, two churches that get affirmed, they are the church at uh, Smyrna and then the church of, church of Philadelphia. And the church in Smyrna is they are a church that in verse 9 says that they're, chapter 2, verse 9, that they're going through tribulation and poverty. They have two marks. They're willing to suffer and they're poor. Both of those have created a dependence upon Jesus, and therefore they have wrapped their affections around him and him alone. So sometimes tribulation, poverty, those can be very good things because we can no longer depend upon ourselves. And then when you look at the Church of Philadelphia, he describes himself there as holy and true. He's the one who uh, can rightly, again, evaluate them. And in verse 8 it says that you have kept my word and that you have not denied me. In verse 9, that you, uh, and so the faithful church, the faithful Christian, is the one who knows his word, who keeps his word, and it doesn't have to be in good conditions. But just as our brother said, when he found out that his guitar was gone, his instrument had been broken, how's he going to respond to that? The faithful brother says, you know what? I understand, God, that you have a plan that's much bigger than that instrument. And so that is the church at Philadelphia and the message he has for us. Then, if you look at these churches, there's, you can look at them progressively, and this is where the doctor will sit down and say, okay, you may be like the church at Ephesus, or you may be like the church at Philadelphia, somewhere on that spectrum, right? But we move from a state of, when we become a Christian, of health to unhealth. And how does that happen? Well, it first begins by the fact that we have a cold heart. We've left our first love, right? Then the second step is, is that we begin to um, not compromise. We begin to uh, yes, we begin to we make, comp, we have make there's compromises in our hearts, right? We begin to let other things take first place in our lives. And then we go from there and then we begin to sit under more and more false teaching of the world. And so we become more corrupt. And you can see the progression here. And then finally, we get to a point where we are dying, we are dead. And so somewhere in the spectrum, 
If you are there, there is an answer. And there is a cure. And the cure is given multiple times here. There's, and that is to repent, right? And it says three things if you look at here. It says that the first thing we're to do is to remember. Remember who Jesus is and remember what he's done for you and I. And then the second thing is that we're to repent. We're to say, you know what, God? When I look at these symptoms, I can see that they really do point to the fact that I've given my affections to another and that I do need to repent of that and to change from that, turn from that. And then the last part is it says that you need to do. You need to do the deeds that used to kindle your heart. And if you think about it with your spouse, why do you continue to date your spouse? It's to remind you and to rekindle your heart for your spouse of the things that first brought you two together, right? And so that is how we can go from a state of being healthy to unhealthy, is we just forget and we begin to allow our affections to be given to another. And so what we want to do is ask ourselves, God, have I truly fully given my, my heart to you or have I let other things begin to creep into my life? Is my work now the dominant force in my life? Is my desire to get a better job, more money, see my kids obey, whatever it happens to be, is that the dominant force? Because if that is the dominant force, then you can know that your affections are in those things and not in Jesus. And that you're somewhere in that progression of, of disease, that that problem. And, but Jesus wants your full heart. And so that's what he is, I think, trying to get at with us in the book of Revelation as he evaluates these churches. And then the final one is, if we're in a state of health, what do we do? We simply give him thanks. We say, God, thank you that you are worthy of suffering for. Thank you that regardless of my conditions, whether I'm poverty or rich, that's immaterial. The fact that I know you is where... I find all my value, I find all my worth, I, that is where I'm going to tie my affections to. And so that is the message for us today, I believe, is that where are your affections? Where are my affections? And then the churches here simply reflect a spectrum of where our affections can be. So let me pray for us, and then we'll turn it over to the next thing. Father, thank you for your goodness. And you know each one of us intimately, just as Jesus walked among these churches and he was uh, seeking to evaluate them so that they could go from a state of unhealth to health, we would pray that you would help us to do the same in our own lives. We ask that we would uh, be bold, as you point out, areas in our own lives where we may have uh, illness or disease, where we have given our affections to another and not to you, and we would Really, Father, in our hearts, we pray that you would help us to repent and to return to those things that are most on your heart. So, Father, we thank you and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.